This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, November 6th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, constructing buildings that are meant to simultaneously blend in and stand out. The idea was really that the building grew out of the ground. And so as you, you know, as you experience uh, the North Forest Trails around Crystal, Br- Crystal Bridges and you look at the building, and in essence, just becomes a part of the park. Plus, the many lives of the USS Arkansas. Heading down the Mississippi, the Arkansas rammed through Farragut's fleet and safely reached Vicksburg. And from small-town Arkansas to big-time sports production. That is honestly why um, that is a priority for me, uh, not only to do the work and climb the ladder, but to also pay it forward as well. First, this hour's news from NPR. KUAF is supported by contributing listeners and by Biotech Pharmacal. With Veterans Day approaching, owners Dale and Hope Benedict would like to thank all military veterans of the United States Armed Forces for their service. Biotech Pharmacal's pure and hypoallergenic vitamins and supplements are available locally or online at biotechpharmacal.com. It is Monday, November 6, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large, a production of 91.3 KUAF Public Radio. Later today, the history of ships bearing the names USS Arkansas, USS Little Rock, and USS Razorback. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History has archives from that center to tell the story. First today, large-scale construction projects around northwest Arkansas are becoming a normal sight. One construction company is working to bring a bit of nature to a sea of concrete. Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis reports. On March 30th, leaders of the Alice L. Walton School of Medicine broke ground for their new campus. Construction began shortly after. Drivers might have noticed the large crane towering above the site while driving on J Street. The new 154,000-square-foot building will inhabit a 14-acre plot of land and include learning halls, a public art gallery, a library, clinical teaching spaces, administrative offices, a student lounge, a theater, recreation and wellness areas, and, of course, ample parking. In addition to the indoor facilities, Architects are placing emphasis on the outer landscape of the building as well. Students, educators, and visitors will be able to enjoy outdoor classrooms and urban farming spaces. But most notably, the medical school will feature the largest green roof in the state. Medical school officials contracted award-winning Arkansas-based architectural firm Polk Stanley Wilcox to create the overall design for the project. Arkansans might recognize the firm's work from around the state. They designed the Heifer International Headquarters and the renovated Robinson Center Music Hall in Little Rock. They are also working on the new Opera of the Ozarks Theater in Eureka Springs. The architectural bar is high in Bentonville. Principal architect Wesley Walls says the significance of the medical school's location was not lost on him. There's just a lot of great work going on there on campus, you know, with the new expansion at at Crystal Bridges by Moshe Softy and, of course, Marlon Blackwell's work. Uh, next door as well with the new whole health institute and the parking structure so you know there's a lot of uh there's a pretty strong precedent there and some some really high quality work that we have to take into consideration when we're conceptualizing a project that's going to be uh, in such a special place impressive buildings have been popping up throughout northwest arkansas earlier this year Fayetteville gained a new behemoth of higher learning on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard with the University of Arkansas's 154,000-square-foot studio and design center. 
Walmart expects its new 350-acre home office in Bentonville to be complete by 2025. And Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art is also in the process of a 100,000-square-foot addition to its already 217,000-square-foot gallery. Construction is thriving in Arkansas, but Bentonville has become a hub for innovative urban development. The once small town will see another inclusion to its skyline in a few years, just east of Crystal Bridges. Walls says school officials gave his team loose parameters for the campus but remained hands-off throughout the design process. This allowed Walls to think creatively about how the building could blend with its surroundings. The medical school will sit between Crystal Bridges North Forest Trail and Orchards Park Recreation Area. Walls says he wanted to make the building a part of the park and extend the outdoor recreation experience. Not just for students and visitors to the school, but even making the building, in, a, in essence, an extension of people who happen just to be walking the trails you know, around Crystal Bridges. And so the building, the idea was really that the building grew out of the ground. And so as you, as you, you, know, as you experience uh, the North Forest Trails around Crystal, Br- Crystal Bridges and you look at the building, in, a, in essence, just becomes a part of the park, right? You see the park extending up on it. It's almost something to discover uh, for people who happen to be uh, visiting the trails around Crystal Bridges. He set about determining ways to create a physical connection to the trail system in the Ozark Mountains. Wall says he designed the building to mirror the karst, jagged form of limestone bluffs in his initial sketches. He also decided to utilize a green roof, solidifying the relationship between the school and the surrounding environment. A green roof is kind of like a living addition to an existing roof. They involve a waterproofing membrane, a root repellent system, a drainage system, a filter, a growing medium, that's landscape architects speak for soil, and plants. The school's roof will also house paved sidewalks, boulders, 99 trees, benches, and water features. So think of a garden on top of a house, or in this case, a park on top of a medical school. The school's green roof will be 2.5 acres large, which Wall says is ambitious. You have to turn ambition into reality, right? Uh, When when the medical school said, we we love this concept, we love this idea, uh, you know, then the challenge is on, right? How do you how do you turn that vision into reality? And you're right. uh, It's it's a real technical process. It's you know, there are different types of green, uh, green roof systems, but but there is a there is a level a level of complexity, and it's partly partly technically due to the to the, the system itself, but also there's a bit of complexity just because they're not as common, right? You know, anything that you do in any kind of industry that's not the norm, you know, introduces a bit of complexity just because it's you know it's it's new. While green roofs might be new to some, Lee Porter says they're her favorite thing to talk about. It's a good day if I get to be on a green roof. Green roofs are where I'm where I'm happiest. Porter is the owner and operator of Ozark Green Roofs. Her company works with architects, structural engineers, contractors, and suppliers to design, install, and manage green roofs across the state. Some of her previous work can be found on top of the Fayetteville Public Library, a Dohe Residence Hall at the U of A, and Ozark Natural Foods. On October 3rd, Porter and her team announced they will manage the installation of the medical school's green roof. She says its massive size and heavy features present a fair amount of complications. Rather than, uh, rather than just a thin, extensive green roof, this is an intensive green roof. Those are technical differences, extensive and intensive. An extensive green roof will have a thin layer of soil over a waterproof membrane, 
An intensive green roof has features like trees and walking paths. Accordingly, the Alice L. Walton School of Medicine will house an intensive roof. She says the building needs to be designed with this in mind. Green roofs are heavy. Um, They can be anywhere from, you know, five pounds per square foot to 300 pounds per square foot if you have if you have asphalt or if you have concrete or stone paving, it's going to increase that square footage, that cubic foot volume and weight. Um, so you want to work with a design team. You want to work with, uh, with a contractor that knows what they're doing, that's worked on green roofs, or as a landscaper that's worked on green roofs. Porter says the medical school is a bold example of what a green roof can be. She says... Green roofs are increasing in popularity and provide a range of environmental benefits outside of aesthetic and recreational value. The plants and soil absorb stormwater, which reduces runoff and erosion. If gardeners plant native species, they support pollinators and provide wildlife habitat. Plus, Porter says green roofs are an efficient method to combat the urban heat island effect. The urban heat island effect is something that you're probably very familiar with. It's when you're downtown, you're standing in a asphalt parking lot next to a car and it's middle of summer and it's really hot versus maybe on that same day someone is in a field underneath the shade of a tree with breeze it's cooler there so the urban heat island effect is when you're in a city downtown it's hotter versus when you're in a rural area and typically that can be anywhere from 7 to 15 degrees difference Architect Wesley Walls says the roof will also help insulate the school. That's because typically a building's heating loss happens through the roof. Whether or not the roof will save the institute money has yet to be seen. As construction proceeds, the Alice L. Walton School of Medicine will continue to assemble staff members with plans to open its doors to 48 students by 2025. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. Ahead this hour, the history of the USS Razorback, or actually, the history of multiple ships with that name. Just one year later, in 1863, another ship, which would eventually carry the state's name, was commissioned for the Union as Tonawanda. Later, the name would be changed to Arkansas. In 1865, the ship was decommissioned and sold to private interests. Randy Dixon has naval-related archives from the Prior Center. That's ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. A new low-income housing complex for veterans in Fayetteville is under construction after a two-year hiatus. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Ground was first broken for the new Patriot Park apartment complex on the corner of College Avenue and North Street, September 11th, 2021, but soon stopped due to inflation-related construction costs and supply chain disruptions during that era. Now excavators and dump trucks are back on site. Jim Petty is co-owner of Strategic Realty. For 35 years, he's built affordable housing across Arkansas and Oklahoma. Petty also serves as Republican state senator for District 29 in Van Buren. He says the original cost was $10.2 million for Patriot Park, but has since risen to $12.4 million. 
the primary source of funding is through the uh, the federal low-income housing tax credit. The primary source of funding for for all uh, affordable housing in uh, the country uh, is is driven by the low-income housing tax credit or uh, the tax exempt bonds and and low-income housing tax credit combination. It's it's a really the only resource that is uh, steadily available every year. It's a it's a bipartisan supported uh, uh, program that involves a public-private partnership. Additional funding has been provided by the National Housing Trust Fund with help from the Federal Home Loan Bank's Affordable Housing Program. Petty says development design plans have changed from three large buildings to nine smaller buildings to improve access for disabled veterans. There will be 60 units uh, made up of 24 one-bedrooms, 24 two-bedrooms, and 12 three-bedrooms. Uh, and the housing itself is what we'll call a veteran's preference, uh, meaning that if something happened and there were only 50 veterans that were uh, able uh, to live there, then the other 10 could be rented to anyone otherwise eligible based on their, their income levels. Rents will range from $275 to $650 per month. Petty's working with Washington County Veterans Service Office and other support organizations for veterans to spread the word about housing leases coming available next spring. Veterans can apply to Patriot Park starting in May, and an expected move-in date once construction is complete is scheduled for late August. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Fort Smith Regional Art Museum celebrating 75th anniversary by dedicating a time capsule on December 9th. Julie Moncrief is the development director at the RAM, and she says art can be a great way to experience the past, and art can help people do that. A time capsule can do that as well. It's a fun twist that this will help people see how our community and region worked to preserve the arts and to celebrate the arts. The contents of the Rams Heritage Time Capsule will reflect the era featuring art pieces, letters, photos, and other artifacts from both the museum and members of the community. Michael Hall is the museum's executive director, and he says the Time Capsule represents the optimism that the community has for the Ram. You know, at the beginning of the 20th century, that was a very optimistic time. Everybody had great plans for the future and everybody was doing things like cornerstones and time capsules and putting the years on the buildings when the, you know, you were building a building or a house. It was a sense of tremendous pride. And I kind of feel like we we captured that that story from history. And that's one of the reasons we're doing a time capsule because it shows how confident that we are 75 years from now when they open the thing up that we're still going to be here even bigger and better than ever. Submissions are being considered through November 24th. You can find details on how to submit an item for consideration, as well as the celebration to dedicate the time capsule on our website, ozarksatlarge.com. The 10th-ranked Razorback soccer team is again the runner-up at the SEC tournament. Arkansas fell to Georgia 1-0 yesterday. The Razorbacks have made it to the tournament final seven times in the last eight years, but have never won that game. Arkansas expected to receive a high seed in the NCAA tournament field announced today. The eighth-ranked Arkansas volleyball team is now 11-2 after a sweep of Mississippi State yesterday afternoon in Fayetteville. They next play at Alabama on Friday night. 
And a refurbished Victory Theater in downtown Rogers will open in March. The first performer at the reopened theater has been announced as jazz guitarist Pat Metheny. Metheny has released more than 50 albums and been awarded 20 Grammys. 87 ships take positions three miles off Bikini to suffer the shattering impact of the fifth atomic bomb. Here will be tested the capacity of modern armament to withstand the crushing shock of compressed water traveling a mile per second. This is Ozarks at Large. It's time to go into some prior center archives with Randy Dixon. Randy, what we hear? That was not... A scene from Oppenheimer. Yeah. Uh, We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the USS Arkansas. And the reason that clip is significant is that the USS Arkansas was one of those 87 ships that uh, were involved in the atomic bomb tests at uh, Bikini Atoll Mm -hmm. in the Marshall Islands, 1948. I'm sorry, 1946. Um, But there have been several USS Arkansas. Um, There are five uh, with a sixth on the way soon. Right. But uh, you want to get just a little history lesson? Sure, sure. On the earliest of these, I guess you would say, USS Arkansas. More about that in a minute. Yes, uh, but... Let's uh, go to KTV's Bob Steele. Uh, this is a report from 1980, and it will make more sense here in a few minutes of why KTV's doing a report on USS Arkansas. But here's Bob Steele. The first ship to carry the name Arkansas was actually an enemy of the United States Navy. She was an ironclad river ram which sailed under the flag of the Confederate States. The CSS Arkansas was ready for duty by the summer of 1862 and found it in a hurry. Coming down the Yazoo, she disabled three Union vessels on her way to the Mississippi River. Heading down the Mississippi, the Arkansas rammed through Farragut's fleet and safely reached Vicksburg. She survived an attack by two ships at Vicksburg, but two weeks later, in a battle near Baton Rouge, the ship was disabled and drifted ashore. Her crew set the Arkansas on fire rather than be captured by Union forces. Just one year later, in 1863, another ship, which would eventually carry the state's name, was commissioned for the Union as Tonawanda. Later, the name would be changed to Arkansas. In 1865, the ship was decommissioned and sold to private interests. The third ship to carry the name of the Wonder State was a single turreted monitor built in 1899, one of the last monitors built for the United States Navy. The ship was renamed Ozark to provide the name Arkansas to a new ship under construction. That new ship would prove to be the most famous to bear the state's name. The one that we're about to talk about now was commissioned back in 1912. Pre-World War I. Yes. And this is the one that was involved in World War I and World War II and that you heard being blown up, basically, mm-hmm. uh, in that atomic test. It... It actually survived the first explosion, but then they moved it closer to the epicenter, and they had uh, an underwater explosion the second time, and that's what sunk it. Um, But uh, to talk a little more about it in its life, Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it was used in World War II or one mainly for convoy escorts, and they did a lot of training okay. on it. Um, but near the end of World War II is when it really saw some action. Uh, I talked to uh, John Hoganson. He's the curator of the Arkansas Inland Maritime Museum in North Little Rock. And uh, here he talks about the Arkansas and her involvement in the war. However, later on in the Second World War, she was put for shore bombardment. Um, the places where she did that operation, uh, most notably she was involved in the Normandy landings, uh, stationed off of Omaha Beach, um, and also the French border Cherbourg during that uh, operation. Um, after that, she participated in the invasion of southern France, uh, Operation Dragoon. Um, after that, she was then shifted out of the European theater uh, to the Pacific, uh, where she did bombardment duties for both uh, Iwo Jima uh, and Okinawa. It's kind of amazing to think that there's a battleship that could have been used in both World War I and World War II, given the technological changes that happened. Well, and, and they did have to be yeah. uh, decommissioned uh, and, um, I guess, upgraded. Sure. Um, to destroyer status or uh, guided missile status or, or you know, whatever the newest right. uh, technology was at the time. But, you know, as we heard before, its final assignment was to go to the Marshall Islands and is now sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic there near Bikini Atoll. And we should point out here that means there is another connection kind of to Arkansas because we have so many people of Marshallese heritage here. And one reason so many people have emigrated here is because the Marshall Islands well, got it, ravaged by nuclear. Well, they they evacuated right. uh, thousands, and um, a lot of them came yeah. here. Yeah, and you know you don't really ask <laughs> if you can test nuclear weapons somewhere. You just kind of do it. Right. I mean, you evacuate, of course, but yes. but, but there is a legacy, especially in northwest Arkansas, to the Marshall Islands and, and those right. explosions. And I've seen some pictures, yeah. uh, underwater pictures of the USS Arkansas, and uh, apparently it's safe for divers to go. There's, you know, the the radiation mm. danger is, well, is gone. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let others do that. I, yeah, I, I won't be participating. <laughs> so that one is at the bottom of the ocean, right. but there have been others. Right. So let's go to this next one, and this is the significance of 1980. Uh, the newest, uh, I guess you would call incarnation mm-hmm. of um, USS Arkansas was tagged CGN-41 because uh, it was a nuclear-powered guided missile cruiser. And uh, KTV, of course, went to Norfolk, uh, for the commissioning, I was there uh, as a new photographer with uh, reporter Bob Steele. And uh, let's hear him about the commissioning. On October 18th, a crowd of 3,000 was on hand at Norfolk, Virginia, for the commissioning of the USS Arkansas. As guests were ushered to their seats, the musical touring company Up With People performed, setting the mood for what was about to follow. The seating of the ship's sponsor, Betty Bumpers, signaled the arrival of the official party. Among those present, Congressman Burl Anthony, Ed Bethune, and John Paul Hammerschmidt, and the state's chief executive, Bill Clinton. 
Forty veterans who served on the battleship Arkansas were recognized for their contributions during World War II. Then the new ship was formally commissioned. Now, in accordance with this authority, I hereby place United States ship Arkansas in commission. Things are quiet now for the crew of the USS Arkansas, but soon rigorous training begins to make each man more aware of his job. With that accomplished, the ship will then be assigned for probable duty in the Atlantic or the Mediterranean. This missile cruiser, CGN-41, the defender of opportunity, has yet to earn a reputation in the United States Navy. But historically, ships that have carried her name establish distinguished records of service. The task for the men of the Arkansas is to see that the reputation it earns brings credit not only to a state, but also to a nation. I mean, you think about what was going on in 1980. I mean, we were right in the throes of the Cold War and um, Senator Dale Bumpers was the keynote speaker at that commissioning ceremony. And, well, you can tell. Well, the hostages were still being held in Iran at that point, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah it was a, a tense time. It was. And, uh, well, you can tell from the speech that uh, there was definitely a Cold War with Soviet Union. Thy Trident submarine, which will join the fleet next year, is superior to anything the Soviets have. Our tactical fighters are superior. Our cruise missiles, which will be deployed late in 1981, are easily the most revolutionary weapon system of this century. I say these things neither to ignore nor denigrate Soviet power, numerical advantages, or their technology, nor do I say these things to put on colored glasses and ignore the tremendous problems we do indeed have in our own defense system. I say these things simply to put the whole matter in a better and more proper perspective. But whether you're a hawk or a dove, we have no choice but to respond to the increased Soviet defense spending, and we are. You also talked to some of the, the folks who were on the ship. Right. We were given an extensive tour, and... Um we uh, found uh, several Arkansans who were uh, assigned uh, to this ship. So we talked to them about being from Arkansas and being on the Arkansas. It's my home. Uh, I make sure that my home is safe, uh, clean, and, uh, and people to, to enjoy and see. And uh, I'm proud of it like I'm proud of Arkansas. I think it makes me doubly <clears throat> proud to be on the ship, being from Arkansas and being a new ship. I mean, I've been in the Navy 17 years, and I've thought about trying to get on the Little Rock because that was the only thing close to Arkansas, and now to be assigned to a ship named Arkansas has really been a, a thrill for me. I didn't know until then that there was a USS Little Rock. I don't think I had heard of that. Right, yeah. and so I started looking into that, and it was a, a light cruiser that was commissioned in 1945, and then... It went through one of those conversions that we talked about mm -hmm. uh, in 1957, and it was converted to a guided missile cruiser and then was decommissioned. Didn't see really any action right. uh, to speak of, but was uh, decommissioned in 1976. Uh, now it's a museum. Right. Uh, it's docked in um, yeah Buffalo, yes. New York. In fact, I have I have seen it in Buffalo, New York. Oh, you have? Yes, come to think of it. But it had a replacement, uh, USS Little Rock. 
Um, and it was one of these newly designed um, combat ships that would operate close to shore. They called littoral uh, waters that, okay. you know, more shallow, close to shore. And it was supposed to be able to maneuver more quickly. Uh, but the ship, after it was commissioned in 2017, it ran into all kinds of yeah. technical and mechanical problems, and they decommissioned it just last month. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a USS Little Rock right now, but apparently it is up for sale that, uh, you know, to a friendly— Someone could buy it. Government, yes. Oh, oh. Yeah, which is a case that we're about to talk about because there is also okay, so we have an Arkansas, we have a Little Rock. Right. There's also a Razorback. Okay. USS Razorback. But it is a submarine. Mm-hmm. And it was from World War II in Korea. So I talked to uh, John Hoganson about that submarine's history. USS Razorback uh, is a diesel electric submarine um, built from September to January of 1944 in Kittery, Maine. Uh, she served in World War II, um, participating in about five war patrols, uh, along with being selected to take part in the surrender ceremony in Tokyo Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, she served she served the United States until about 1970. Uh, at which point, she was in taken from our Navy, uh, and then sold to the nation of Turkey as part of a NATO program. Uh, Turkey used her up until about January of 2001. Uh, so she has a very long life. All right, if something is called the USS Arkansas, it's pretty much referring to the state. Yep. If it's the USS Little Rock, it's very much the city. I yep. think there's only one Little Rock anywhere. But yep. a Razorback doesn't necessarily have to be referring to the University of Arkansas mascot. You know... I was asked that question by Susan Kendrick Perry, my friend and colleague, mm-hmm. and I didn't know the answer. So I started looking into that. And um, apparently the the final decision on how a ship is or what a ship is going to be named uh, goes to the Secretary of the Navy. Makes sense to me. Yes. But there's some general rules but they're just general rules. Okay. They don't necessarily have to follow them. But aircraft carriers are usually named after presidents. The Eisenhower. Right, right. right. Uh, now, these littoral mm-hmm. uh, combat ships, you know, the smaller ones uh, that fight, you know, fight closer to shore are named after cities or towns. Okay. And then the, the larger battleships after states – now, here's where we get the answer to your question. About the sub. And Susan's question. Okay. Um, attack submarines uh, originally were named after fish. The shark or... Well, yes, but there is a nickname for a fin whale, mm-hmm. which is razorback. Okay. It's a razorback whale. So it was named not for the University yeah. of Arkansas or its mascot. It was named after a, well, not a fish, but a mammal, a, a sea, yeah. a sea living, sea worthy yes. creature. Yes. yes. So that's how it got its name. Makes sense to me. Yeah, and you can actually see 
the USS Razorback. It is docked on the North Little Rock side uh, mm-hmm. on the Arkansas River, and it's a museum. And you can get tours on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Have you been in it? Yes. So after about 10 minutes, I need to get out. Well, it's, yeah, you're... you're. A, I can't imagine living on You're a thing. character in Das Boot. Yeah, I just, my hands are getting sweaty thinking about it right now. Yep. I would not have done well. Yeah. Oh, gosh, no way. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but there is a, an interesting story about how... That submarine got to where it is. Uh, the Mississippi River? <laughs> well, <laughs> among oh. other. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, they, they didn't fly it in and drop it mm-hmm. down. Um, North Rock Mayor Patrick Hayes. Who just passed. Just recently passed, yeah. yes. Uh, bought it. You know, um, well, it, it, as. As representative of the city. Yes. Not out of the his city own bought it. Yes. Right. Yes. But they bought it from the Turkish government mm-hmm. because the Turkish government decommissioned it. And so a delegation went over, had it uh, deactivated, which means it couldn't operate. Right. And uh, so how are you going to get it from Istanbul to North Little Rock? I don't know. You tow it. Ah. So it was towed. From across the Atlantic, uh-huh. up the Mississippi, <laughs> and up the Arkansas. Now, the submarine itself cost $37,000, right. which I think is a pretty good deal. There are some people looking for homes in northwest Arkansas that would take $37,000. <laughs> no kidding. Cla- claustrophobic or not. Hey, but getting it here cost a mansion. Yeah. It was $750,000 to tow it. So uh, anyway, there was a big, big ceremony. We um, at KTV had our helicopter up and had live coverage of it coming up the river, and there were all kinds of veterans, a lot of people there, a lot of fanfare. So I thought we could play um, a 2004 report from Bijal Patel on the festivities that went around that day. With the crack of the bottle, the USS Razorback is officially home. Well, this, this is a pretty special occasion, and so we're, uh, I was really looking forward to it. Just elation, that's all. Just joy, and, and so happy I came. Veterans from across the country were on board the Razorback. Many of them served on this 60-year-old sub during World War II and Vietnam. This is their last voyage. I wish we could keep on going down the Mississippi River and back out to sea, because it's... Uh, a lovely experience to be out there with the waves coming over the bow. Never will again, I guess. But the memories will last forever. Some veterans have donated mementos for the Arkansas Inland Maritime Museum. Well, it's, to me, it's great. Uh, it is absolutely a fine place to put all my mementos, put them in the museum. Uh, I talked to Ray Hanley, and he is an author who wrote uh, many books about Arkansas, but there's one he wrote about the USS Arkansas. It's called Arky, the Saga of the USS Arkansas. And he was just a wealth of information about all of the, you know, versions of uh, the USS Arkansas. So um, I asked him about the battleship's contribution to the war, particularly in World War II. 
Yeah, we talk a lot about the, the greatest generation, you know, that I guess, uh, you know, Tom Brokaw, you know, coined the World War II generation that, mm-hmm. you know, saved the world from tyranny. But, you know, it wasn't just the soldiers that did it, that they did it with the, the, the military manufacturing output of the United States and ships like the uh, Arkansas that made uh, possible the successful landing at, uh, at D-Day, which put the, the Allies on the path of uh, retaking Europe from, from the Germans. And uh, had it not been for ships like the Arkansas and the others uh, with these big guns that were softened up the Germans and uh, got the, got you know made it possible for for the Allies to land, I'm not sure what would have happened. Same in Japan. The same with Japan. Uh, if you look at the naval battles, uh, you know it, it wasn't the island hopping that. Uh, uh, defeated Japan, it was, uh, you know, naval battles like, uh, you know, that went on uh, several of them, the Coral Sea and uh, the Battle of Midway, uh, you know, the Navy is, is and the, the flyers that flew off the decks of these ships uh, had more to do to turn in the tide of the war than did uh, just the uh, the battles on these islands. Hey, this was fun. Yeah. Let's do it again uh, oh, next week. You got a plan? Well, uh, I think so. Um, how about Patty Upton? Aromatique. Fine. You're, yeah. You're getting a blank look from me, so I, I look forward to learning more. <laughs> I do. Okay. All right. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Put in Pryor Center to your search engine and explore Arkansas history. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'll see you next week. This is Ozarks at Large. We produce our show in the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. And we share our studios with several podcast producers as well, including the creative team behind the District 3 podcast. Late last month, Irvin, Elena, and Miguel welcomed Arkansas alum Rhea Clay to their show. Rhea is talent producer for Fox Sports and a two-time Emmy Award winner. She came to Fayetteville to accept a Young Alumni Award. And when she visited our Furman Garner Performance Studio, she told the District 3 host she's done well in her career with help from friends, family, and mentors. I will say that I had a, a pretty good community backing me. My family was also very supportive. I always tell this story that I told my mom, I want to say, my either freshman year, sophomore year of college, that mom, like, all the best video editors, producers, journalists, they all have MacBooks, right? Yeah, they have yeah. MacBooks. They use iMovie. They use Final Cut Pro. They use the Premiere Pro. I need a MacBook. And mm. a PC is just not cutting it. And she's <laughs> yeah. like, I get that, but I'm a single mom working two jobs. Like, a MacBook is like a house payment. That's It's yeah. almost $2,000. And um, one Christmas, she got me this really big Christmas gift, right? A box almost taller than me. Mm. And the big box... It had another box, another box, and another box. Probably like 10 boxes. So I got to the very, very last box. 
and it was a MacBook. Oh, wow. And I just broke down crying because I know how hard my mom works, and I kind of stressed to her that, I mean, yes, it was an important thing for me to have, but also a very expensive thing, but she wanted to invest in my future, and I credit my mom as well for just going out of her way to make sure that I always had all the tools, um, all the inspiration, and just the support that I needed to get to where I am today. Do you think you got that, uh, that drive that you have, you know, the hardworking drive from your mom? Absolutely. My mom is very hardworking, also a community leader. Um, and again, mm. like always willing to help others. I think that once you get in a certain space in your career field, I mean, it's great to be successful, right? But I think that a really successful person and a mentor is someone who knows how to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. I think that also kind of just like seems to drive as well. Like you're working towards yourself, but also working to build the next generation of, you know, mm-hmm. journalists and producers. I think that really makes such a successful person. And, and is that why you're very passionate about going to speak to all these different classes yourself? Because you're going to go speak to, like, well, like, two two or three different classes after this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to speak to a few classes after this. I spoke at um, NYU two weeks ago. Um, I spoke at NABJ in Alabama uh, two months ago. So that is honestly why um, that is a priority for me, um, not only to do the work and climb the ladder, but to also pay it forward as well. Um Quick little plug here. I am planning to launch my own mentorship program beginning okay. of next year. So if you're listening, it's going to be absolutely a free program for anybody oh, wow. um, in media, journalism. You'll be paired with a professional to help you um, with career advice, resume advice. I'm going to just guide you and navigate you um, throughout mm. your career. So, so cool. if you're interested, please be on the lookout. Absolutely free. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so um, after high school... Uh, what made you decide to go to um, Arkansas? Uh, or Arkan- Did you go anywhere else or did you go straight to the U of A? I love this question because I actually um, had a pretty good scholarship and was set on going to Arkansas State. Mm, uh, my okay. mom, she was so proud. She had changed her license plate to Arkansas State, like to a Red <laughs> Wolf license plate. Um, I had so many uh, Red Wolves, like um, like gear, blankets, and jackets. And then the summer before college started, I had went to um, the TAP program at U of A campus, right? My mm. um, high school um, counselor recommended it. So TAP is Technology Awareness Program. And it was a media and tech program combined on campus. I'm like, you know, I'll go to this program, it's great. But I'm going to Arkansas State. I'm going to be a Red Wolf. I'm going to go to journalism <laughs> school. And once I stepped foot on U of A's campus, I fell in love. Mm. Mind you, the program, we were there for about a week, staying at the dorms, going to Bruff, eating the food there, uh, working under the students who were like student mentors there. And I just fell in love with the campus, um, the people. And I was like, you know what? College starts in like a couple months, but I want to change my mind. And then also with me wanting to go into the sports field, I noticed that so many athletes had, you know, went pro from Arkansas versus Arkansas State, right? Mm -hmm. SEC school, I'm thinking long-term here. I can be able to interview potential, you know, NFL players on campus. I can be able to possibly get, you know, opportunities to work at ESPN game, and I ended up doing that. So my mom was telling me when she was here, we scrambled last minute. And we got scholarship money, we got grants, and I was able to last minute change from Arkansas State to you know, Arkansas and become a Razorback. Oh, but wow. it was a very like game time decision. Oh. And and your goal was always I'm going in here and I'm gonna do 
uh, journalism or I mean or a sports broadcaster. That was that was always my yeah. goal. That was okay. always my goal is to do journalism. And I'll never forget um, someone told me, well, I don't really think that's a real job. Mm. And I'm like. <laughs> All right, give give, yeah. give me give me a year or two post college. <laughs> I will I will show you. Give me a year or yeah. two. But um, I've always wanted to do it. I've always been passionate about it. Um, again, telling stories. Um, I love sports. Um, I will say I did play basketball growing up. I was a kid dribbling and um doing a basket in the opposite goal. So hey. I was I was not good at all. <laughs> um, I played softball. Also, wasn't the best. Really fast. I always been a really <laughs> fast runner. I should have did track, but mm. really was not athletic. Obviously, I'm five one. So I thought in my head I'm going to be the next Lisa Leslie, the next Candace Parker, maybe even Skylar Diggins, but <laughs> five one going to WNBA probably not happening. <laughs> Rhea Clay is a producer of digital talent and storytelling for Fox Sports, and is a two-time Emmy winner. She's also the founder of the Rhea Shop, an online boutique. She was in Fayetteville last month to accept a Young Alumni Award from the University of Arkansas. You can hear the entire conversation. With Urban Elena Miguel on the District 3 podcast, which you can find at KUAF.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, redevelopment in Fayetteville could mean the loss of the distinct Quonset huts near downtown. Caught us off guard. Uh, and so immediately people started calling us worried that we were closing. We had you know, existing members because um, the newspaper didn't really check with us. They named us, but they didn't check with us. That's on Tuesday's edition of Ozarks at Large. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Frances Octavia Smith was born in Texas on Halloween in 1912 and raised in Osceola, Arkansas. She married as a teen, had a son, and got a high school secretarial job in Memphis at a company which sponsored a radio program. She was singing at her desk when her boss overheard her and got her to appear on the radio show. Soon Frances Smith was a full-time vocalist on Memphis radio. From this valley they say you are going Frances Octavia Smith from Osceola changed her name to Dale Evans when she took a job at WHAS in Louisville, Kentucky. In the late 1930s, Dale Evans moved to Chicago and toured for a year with Anson Weeks' orchestra. Afterwards, she sang on CBS radio affiliate WBBM for three years in Chicago. In Hollywood, she was briefly with 20th Century Fox Studios and sang on the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy show in 1942, one of the most popular radio shows in the country at that time. Night on the range when it's getting mighty cold The cattle get restless and mighty hard to hold Around this time, Dale Evans starred in some musicals for Republic Pictures. In 1944, she was cast as the female lead in The Cowboy and the Senorita with Roy Rogers, the most popular movie cowboy of all time, and at his peak at that point. She began singing cowboy songs. The two became a duo in more ways than one. They starred in 19 more films together over the next five years. 
Dale Evans and Roy Rogers were married on New Year's Eve, 1947, less than a year after the death of his first wife. Dale Evans and Roy Rogers eventually had nine children, adopting four, but only one biological child was between them, named Robin. Robin was diagnosed with Down syndrome before she was two. Both Roy and Dale were religious, and Dale wrote more than 20 books about her religious faith, including a bestseller about how their family dealt with Robin's death and life. Dale also wrote the Christian chestnut, The Bible Tells Me So, among others. Besides her hand in marriage, Dale Evans gave Roy Rogers another great gift, the song Happy Trails, which she wrote. The song became the standard send-off for the duo's NBC television show, which ran for seven years during the 1950s. Happy Trails is an American classic to the extent that it was humorously covered by one of the most popular hard rock bands of the 80s in 1982, Van Halen, on their Diver Down album, heard here. From Osceola, Arkansas, here in its entirety is Dale Evans, with late husband Roy Rogers singing another cowboy classic, Cool Water. All day I faced a barren waste without the taste of water. Spreads the burning sand with water. Dan, can you see that big green tree where the water's running free and it's waiting there for me and you? The shadows sway and seem to say, Tonight we pray for water. Listen to him, Dan. He's a devil, not a man, and he spreads a burning sand with water. Dan, can you see that big green tree where the water's running free and it's waiting there for me and you? Cool, clear water. Cool, clear water. 
Osceola, Arkansas raised Dale Evans with Roy Rogers singing Cool Water. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansongs, since 1998. Arkansongs is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors today included Jack Travis, Jacqueline Froelich, Victoria Hernandez, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Tomorrow, the... City of Bentonville's Public Art Advisory Committee is um, unveiling a new work of public art. It seems like you can't go a week in Bentonville without some public art yeah, being no unveiled. Kidding. <laughs> but this is called Seeds of Bentonville. It's by Justin Dester, and it's going to be, well, it is, and it will be unveiled tomorrow in front of City Hall. It's uh, taking place tomorrow afternoon at 1230, and it is to commemorate the city's 150th anniversary. It's a long time to be a city. It's a long time to be anything, I yeah. suppose. Uh, and, hey, it's uh, college basketball season somehow yeah. tonight. Yeah. The Arkansas—I think all of the major Division One men's teams in Arkansas tonight, including the Arkansas Razorbacks in Bud Walton Arena, they're hosting Alcorn State. A couple of the women's programs open up tonight. The Arkansas women will open up tomorrow night at Bud Walton Arena. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the women play tomorrow night. I know they play Murray State Friday morning in that annual game that tips off at like 10 in the morning for uh-huh. kids who do well on report cards. Did you ever get an invitation to one of those games? I, there was no college where I grew up. <laughs> I will tell you this. Uh, uh-huh. When I did radio play-by-play for the Razorback women, we did one of those games at Northwestern. Mm. Uh, it, it tipped off in Evanston, Illinois at, I think, 9.30. Far too or, early. Yes, far too early. <laughs> 9.30 or 10 in the morning. And... Um, one of the great things about those games is it's a loud game because the kids who are there are really encouraged. And so it was a loud game. Yeah. Arkansas beat Northwestern. But what I also remember is every time out because there wasn't a band, mm-hmm. right? They mm-hmm. were all, all those students were in class, I guess, at Evanston. Uh, but every time out break, I'm not saying some. I'm not saying most. I'm not saying the majority. <laughs> I'm just saying Every time outbreak on the loudspeaker, they played uh, Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. Oh, man. That takes me back. And um, I feel like you can't hear that song the same anymore. Well, I mean, it was very loud, <laughs> and it was very often. I'm going to guess it was about 20 wow. times. And it wasn't like different parts of the song? No, it was no. like always they just the start first it. 30 seconds? I mean, whoever was doing <laughs> the music that day. Because the, the first time they played it, the kids went crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think they said, well, okay. If it ain't broke, don't fix yes. it. <laughs> so I like that song, but I can't hear it 20 times in three hours. I don't blame you. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. We will not have it on the show tomorrow. I promise you that. That's very true. Thank you for being with us. We will uh, be with you tomorrow from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kelms. Don't forget, we have a podcast available that you can get at KUAF.com or wherever you're already getting your podcasts.